Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Ear Hammer Podcast. Hey, everybody, welcome back to the Ear Hammer Podcast. I appreciate you being here. Um, so I do record these in advance. That's not anything I think I mentioned in the other episodes. So with that being said, uh, I would like to personally thank you very, very much to anyone who has become a patron on the Ear Hammer Records Patreon account. Uh, the support definitely is goes, goes towards the record label and the podcast. Um, and that brings me to a topic, actually. I'm considering going bi-weekly as opposed to monthly with this podcast. And that's going to be determined by Patreon support because, you know, I'm just uh, not a rich guy. So uh, that would definitely help pay for podcast stuff um, if, you know, right now we're monthly um, with a little bit of support. I greatly appreciate it. And uh, maybe go bi-weekly, bi-monthly, not bi-weekly. My goodness. Um, yeah. So also, if you could, you know, go check out some of the bands on some of the bands, all the bands, please, on Earhammer Records. Um, there's a great roster right now with more to come. They're constantly releasing EPs and albums. So, you know, if you haven't done that yet, go check out the bands. Um, and check out the social media platforms for Earhammer Records, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, yeah, and the YouTube channel. So I also want to clear up one little mistake I made. Uh, so I mentioned that. We are recording these episodes in a few months, a few months in advance. And listening back to the trailer, I realized I and Jeremy, I have to apologize. I kept saying Golden Ox Studios. It is Golden Ox Studio. Yeah. Singular. It reminded me of my childhood when people used to say we were gonna go shop at Kmart's oh. or Burger Kings. You know, just throwing everything, making things plural for no reason. So I apologize. It is Golden Ox Studio. I mean, one day maybe it'll be pluralized. Ooh, maybe I saw a little glimpse of the future. Yeah, there you go. We could go with that. So, yes, uh, welcome everyone back to the podcast. And I have a wonderful, wonderful guest today. His name is Chris Wright. He is a musician, singer, songwriter, producer. He runs a studio here, which I personally have recorded music with, and some of the other bands on the record label Earhammer Records have also recorded with Chris. And he goes way, way back in the in the uh, the Cleveland music scene. So, with that being said, here's today's guest. Hi, Chris Wright. What's up, man? <laughs> Thanks for coming. Oh, man, thank you for having me on the show. It's fucking sweet. Yeah. Uh, can I say fucking? That's just not, yeah. this isn't the old days, I it's, guess. Yeah, you can say whatever you want. <laughs> <laughs> I had a, I told you on the way here that I had a really inappropriate joke that I had planned. <laughs> so, but I kind of probably ruined it by saying I was going to have No, I'm joke. ready for it. No, I, I didn't hear the joke. So it's what I, well, I was going to say that I was going to climb under the table yeah, and blow on the hog whistle <laughs> and see if any of the listeners could hear a hog come. What the fuck? This is not the joke I was expecting. I don't. Well, remember I said maybe your parents would listen to it, <laughs> and, and I thought, man, I'm actually my dad or my mom. My mom might listen to this episode, and then I'd be, I'd have to explain it that I really didn't climb under the table to blow the hog whistle. No, that, you uh, guys should both be proud of the fact that you're. Parents can get podcasts. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I'm, <laughs> that's I'm fair. Sure. I, I have to go to my dad's house all the time to help him fix whatever um, email technology he's still dealing with. So I'm sure a podcast is <laughs> light years ahead of that. Well, it's probably good because I was like not going to say that joke, but then I just said it anyway. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I apologize to my parents also. Like, you know. it's all good. He, he, I'm sure he don't care. <laughs> And um, my dad's probably the dirtiest motherfucker you've ever met if it comes to jokes. So okay. I'm sure he'd be like, ah, oh, that's a good one. <laughs> okay, good, good. There's always good humor towards it. Yeah. Um, so I'm also going to do something a little bit different with your interview. Right um, on. So usually 
I would start at your beginning, you know, like where's, how did music become a part of your life and all that stuff. But I'm going to twist things around a little bit and get weird and see how this format works where I want to start with the current right now. Okay. There's a lot happening right now and I want to focus on that first and then we can backtrack and go down the road of where that stuff came, you know, for you and your life. Um, So I I think what I would like to talk to you about first is Rubber Lizard Studio. Mm Mm-hmm. Singular studio, right? You just yeah, have one studio. Just one. Not studios. It's in my house, so I can't take up that much of my house or my wife will kick me out. <laughs> so far. Yeah, yeah so far. If I could build another building in the back acre, that might, you know, expand the studios, plural. But <laughs> it's just a lot of dollar <laughs> management. It's a lot of money, a lot of space. Yeah, it would be. <laughs> so yeah, tell me about it. Like um what what made you decide you were gonna set up that your recording studio and in, in your house and I was preface this too by saying like you have a lot of gear and your knowledge of it is impressive. And I just, you know, I don't know anything about recording. So like, where did that come from? Oh man, how do I even answer that? So I guess I'd have to dial back. I I mean, I started recording stuff um, back when like I had like a Tascam Porta 7 tape, you know, four track recorder and you had to bounce things down and, you know, you had to consolidate tracks in order to make it something you know that you can listen to that was whatever but i i kept slowly growing over the years and um i just i was in so many bands and always writing music and the idea of writing and recording with somebody else became sort of like you know like i i couldn't afford to constantly be paying somebody out of pocket to record every dumb band that I'm in, man. I got to start like figuring this out on my own. And like, so over, over time, it just became more practical for me to just do things in my own house. And I, and I, I guess I slowly started to gather enough confidence in it and whatever. And I, and I still am. I'm always like learning something new every time I record somebody. And I feel like, um, as far as the, the, the rubber lizard thing, that is just like a, I don't even know, like a long history of the culmination of everything that's happened in my life kind of ending up in this place where I got this house where I can actually make this happen and a wife that's super cool to let it happen. <laughs> you know what sure. I mean? Like and the the house itself, uh, you know, when I when I when I'm tracking bands there, it, it just seems more you know, it's comfortable. It's like a place where I can have my buddies come out and like I can help them make like this thing and i don't know man it's just uh it just slowly and the odd thing about it is is the i the name rubber lizard actually was born out of the original ear hammer thing oh that's right so originally Mm -hmm. anybody that listens to ear hammer the ear hammer name eventually originally came from um this idea that me, you, and Sean had of like doing this whole media sort of—I don't know what you would even call it—like a like just a media source, right? That would like we would we we're going to try to interview bands. We we're going to try to like we always had this idea of like you know helping each other, helping bands, mm-hmm. um, and like kind of you know just being a part of that. And um, when the pandemic happened, um, the Earhammer name we thought was pretty sweet, but like. I, I was in a weird place, man. I was like, I honestly didn't think I was even going to be playing music anymore. I was ready to quit. I was like, fuck this, man. Like, like we're not going to be able to play shows, whatever. And you hit me up and you're like, do you mind if I use your hammer name? I was like, I didn't come up with it. That was like Sean or whatever. But if you want to, go ahead. I did. You, it, yeah. you did. Like, and I was like, it's yours, dude. I don't know. I, I was, wanted to reclaim it. Yeah, I, I was like it. temporarily using it. And then like, so I was like, fuck it. You, you can take it. And then, so you did it and you were like, you ran with it and you created this thing and it was fucking cool. And then over time I was like helping out with other friends. And then like, you know, like people were asking me like, well, what are you calling your studio? And I was like, well, you know, I, I don't want it to be the Earhammer studio because I don't want to just record just bands here. I want to be able to like do stuff with other bands who want to like record here that aren't necessarily under the name Ear hammer, and then that's how Rubber Lizard came about. And how the name Rubber Lizard came about was I was literally driving down the street on the way home from work, and I fucking see this like piece of whatever in the side of the road. And in my 
in my as I'm thinking of like, what do I need to call this fucking label? Yeah. I need to come up with. I see this thing, and I'm like, it looks like a fucking lizard. How is there a lizard in Ohio, man? That's fucking weird. There's no way there's a lizard. And then like as I got closer, I see it's like a piece of rubber from a tire, but it fucking looked like a lizard, right? So yeah, I was yeah. like, rubber lizard recording studios. Boom! There's the name, you know. So that's how it was born. That's awesome. And uh, (laughs) that's so stupid, but like, no, but I, I I don't know, whatever. A name's a name, right? Yeah, it'll stick. Like it just sounds good. It sounds good enough for Um, a fucking label or for a uh, recording studio. So that's what it was. It's it's it ended up turning out pretty cool. Like this band I just uh, recorded, Fish Eyed Fools. uh, the, The guy came in and he like gave me this gift of all these like literally like, rubber lizards. He bet a bag of fucking lizards he brought to the studio. Nice. So he's like they're all over the studio now. So everywhere you look when you're recording, there's like a, a little rubber lizard in the corner or something, you know? So yeah. it's it's funny. It's cool. Toys are fun. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and okay, so you have recorded quite a few bands already. Yeah. Like um, you've had your studio set up for how long? Uh, well, the initial, I guess, I mean, I started, I set up in this house five years ago, but I've been recording before that. And then just recently I did a whole rehab, um, built like new walls and like re kind of configured the entire situation. So now that's like more isolated and it's more, uh, adapt to be able to handle a live recording if you wanted it. Like it's just a, it's just like a different scenario in general. But, um, so there's only been like... I mean, I mean, think two or three new bands in the new configuration, but in total, since I lived there, I don't know, like five or six, I think. So it's not, it's not a ton, but I mean, you know, I mean, it's, it's not my only job. So (laughs) to me, it seems like a lot to anybody who does this for a living per se would probably be like, oh, dude, I did that in a week, you know? (laughs) Yeah. No, none of us get to do any of this fun stuff yeah, yeah. for a living. It's all hobby, really. Right, right, right. It's yeah. it's just time consuming, man. When you yeah. do it for the love of it, it's time consuming. I feel like, and that's kind of in a weird way, the draw of it because like I don't want to record bands that I don't love, that I don't feel like I have something to bring to their thing that they're trying to express or articulate, you know. And so I like. You know, I, I keep it to kind of like a, I don't want to say a boutique thing, but it's it's like friends of mine and like and like people like bands that I feel like I can do something with. But like you know, because my time is limited, I own a business and I I do other things in between. Like I, I mean, I, it's got to be that way, or else I, I'm not going to produce something that like I feel like I love or that I'm going to be able to put myself into. I mean, I think I know a lot of a lot of studios with just hit the record button and, you know, boom, there you go. Here's your record. Send you on your way. Give me my money. And I'm like, dude, I'll work on this fucking thing till I think it sounds good, till you think it sounds good, till we believe in this thing together. And it's our project. Like, mm-hmm. And I feel like I'm becoming part of that. Like, it, it's it's something that, like, a lot of studios can't offer. Like, and it's a weird thing. Like, I mean, I have – a, a job that I own a business that I can do during the day and I make my living off of. And because it's my hobby, it becomes my passion project, you know? Mm-hmm. So that's where that is. Like it would be, I guess, a cool career if you had to rely on it to make money, but at the same time, would you enjoy it as much? Right? Exactly. Right. Like as soon as you, I feel like as soon as I start crossing that threshold where I'm like, Dude, I don't know, man. Like, I gotta record this. For lack of example, I'd be like, like a hip hop project, right? Like, I, I don't listen to that much modern hip hop to to know what sounds good and what like would be progressive in that genre. I would be a disservice to that person to like record their album. They need to find somebody who listens to that, who knows how to make it sound. competitive with what's happening right now i can't i can't do that like i don't i don't know enough about it i listen to like heavy music and like you know Mm -hmm. a lot of indie and electronic and stuff in between but like that is a genre that like i i would have to turn down nothing personal i just don't think that i would excel in it and i wouldn't do you your project a a, you know a proper presentation of it you know that makes sense and if that was paying the bills you wouldn't be able to say no right 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 and it's also why 
I refer to you as a music producer. I don't know if you consider yourself a producer, but I, I see you as a producer because of your approach to recording. Right. And a lot of times I feel more like a producer. Like I know there's a lot of uh, engineers and a lot, a lot of people that like don't understand the, the differentiation there. There's, there's a lot of like variation in the in the understanding of what those two terms mean. Sure. And I, I, I definitely feel like more of a producer in the way of like, I know a lot of people are like, oh, dude, I'm a producer because I fucking put out beats and I do this and that and I make a song and there you go, here's your song. Mm-hmm. But like I, I try to produce in a way that's like, uh, I'm, I'm not going to try to change your arrangements or trying to make you sound like anything other than you. But like sometimes there's just little things that happen in the studio that are just like, you know, you this part sounds weird. Like when you're sounding like, you know, this part's, just sounds thin or, or like you need like more backing vocals here. You know, I'll, I'll definitely help in that way. And I think oddly enough, like I feel like there's a lot of producers in my experience who just, or people that record bands that just don't do that. And maybe I, they just went to recording school and learned how to do it mechanically, right. but you've put a lot of time in, in your right. life to be a musician and a songwriter. It's, I, yeah. We haven't even gotten there yet at that, right. that part of you. So I'm coming from like a different place. Like I think a lot of those guys that go to school that are just like, all right, this is the relative frequency you need to be in to make a bass sound like it cuts through the mix, and this is where the guitars sit in the mix. And like sometimes you're like, yeah, all that frequency stuff is great, and in in the end of the game, it makes it sound pro, but like it doesn't sound like it's cutting through anything. And like you need to have somebody who's like honest with you, and you as an artist need to be open to that. And I will never tell you that like you like have to do it the way I say. I will throw it out there like like the in little instinct bulb goes off in my brain. It goes like, man, whatever you're doing right now, it doesn't sound good. Like mm-hmm. like and I'll say it. I'll just be like, and it's, it, 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 I might come off like a dick. <laughs> you know, I might be like that tra- that that take this didn't sound good. Just do it again. I you know, and I'll try to like tell you why it didn't sound good. I just know it didn't sound good. Yeah. And like that's tough if love. you trust me, it's tough love, man. But like that's how you get that performance out of somebody. Right. And sometimes you can tell somebody's just not feeling it that day and they're like, you know, like they're they're not in that song. They're like doing whatever they're doing. And you gotta find a way to make them perform the way that the song is demanding them to perform. And that's a thing in itself. And I guess that's where like that producer mentality comes in mm-hmm. as, a, as opposed to somebody who just hits the record button and goes, okay, thanks. Here's your record. Give me my money, you know? Yeah, right, because you want to be proud of what you're putting out. 100%. And so you want to get the best performance out of your the artist. Exactly. So yeah, it's yeah. Uh, Which is a good give and take, you know, like you're in, you're pushing the artist to do better. When right. It, when it is a... And I've recorded with you, and like you, you need that sometimes. You need somebody yeah. to say, you know what, this sounds a little weird. I think you could do it better. It's like, yeah, oh, yeah. okay, yeah, right. You know, and it's it's helpful, That's, right? Yeah. You got to look at it like a team, man. Like, mm-hmm. like I don't, I don't ever want the person I'm recording with to feel like, like I, I'm belittling them or like that I know more than they do. I'm just another outside ear, man, and I'm just an opinion. And like I've done things, and I've I, I've never had no hit records, <laughs> no, but it don't fucking matter, man. Like mm-hmm. I, I mean, if you could take my opinion or leave it, and that's how I have it. I'm not I'm not gonna get offended if you're like, nah, dude, I just didn't write it that way, and fuck you, you know. <laughs> are you implying that musicians have egos? Oh, they do, man. <laughs> egos are a very hard thing, and like no, a, a big thing, a big thing about punk rock music in general, right? And like so. Uh, I guess, like, I, I come from a very, very wide musical background, right? Like, I mean, I've I've DJed, I've, like, I listen to electronic music, I listen to indie rock music, heavy music, whatever. So I appreciate all different aspects of producing in general, like, and all the things that, like, even pop music, man, the way they do stuff sometimes is really fucking cool. The way they expand sounds and frequencies and back things up, it's, it's very cool to me. But in a punk rock world it's sometimes that punk rock wants that raw thing and i love the raw at the same time like i love like glass jaw and these bands that are very like there's a visceral feeling behind what they're doing that makes you connect to it that's the human connection that you want to convey in your music and i appreciate that above all but i also appreciate like producer studio tricks you know and like things that are like Mm -hmm. um unconventional and and aren't just you in the in the 
practice space, recording the songs that you wrote together. Because at the same time, like, I, I mean, then just hit the fucking record button and record your guys playing in practice. Don't even hire me to come over there and do it. Yeah. You know, like, but if you want it to sound big and cool and there's, like, those little things that, like, you don't really notice, but, like, they're there and it just makes it sound bigger and better. Mm-hmm. Like, I love that. And, like, yeah. I, I, a lot of a lot of punk rock bands don't like that. They, they're so purist about what they're doing that they, like, hate that, like, producing thing. They make it think it's polished and it sounds commercial. It's like, no, you just, that's just the standard, man. Like, otherwise, yeah. then st- stay in your corner and your yeah. little town and do your thing and like your five friends like you forever and that's cool too man like that but you also but you've you have a lot of um background playing in punk bands sure so you also get it when somebody's like i want it to sound you know Big. raw and gritty or yeah you know have that punk's feel right to it which right, you, right. so you don't get because i've personally been in a, a bunch of studios where I would try to explain that to an engineer. Like, it just, it sounds too clean. Like, if you yeah. want it to sound grittier, you know, like, try to ex- explain a feel of a punk album. And, and yeah. a lot of times they're like, man, I don't know what you're talking about. Oh, you I know? love that, though, man. <laughs> yeah. Like, we did that in Fox a lot. Actually, in this record, we just did, like, uh, I don't even know what pedal it was. They fucking brought in this, uh, I want to, it was like something, a certain kind of fuzz pedal, man. Like, I'm drawing a blank, but like, it sounded so dirty, nasty, awesome, and I was like, "Let's fucking record it!" <laughs> like, so that's the uh, "Spell My Doom" yeah. EP that yeah. is out now on it Earhead Records. Great. I loved it, man. I fucking loved it. It was like it just sounded so hairy and like you awesome. know, but like that's the thing you like you want. You want that like it's not technically perfect. It's not like you know, like I feel like a major label would be like, yeah, no, that just sounds too fucking. Nasty or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, your average listener is not gonna, I'm like, yeah, but that sounds fucking sweet. Right? <laughs> that's all that matters. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Yeah. So speaking of that, that's a kind of a good transition too. Like, so that's the recording. That's the engineer producer side of Chris, sure. right? Yeah. Um, let's talk about Beast Killer. Okay. Because that's <laughs> that's the band that you're, you're currently hitting the streets with. Yep. And you just recorded your first first beast killer is it it's full length oh yeah it's 11 songs so, so debut album 11 definitely. songs and so it probably won't be out yet by no. the time this is like maybe three four months people will hear this interview but eventually we'll be out on ear hammer records sure right yeah i, I think I'm, did I'm we ever handshake on that my fingers man <laughs> three months i i hope i mean i'm cranking man i'm like I probably got at this moment, whatever today is, March fucking 18th when we're recording this thing. The day after St. Patty's Day. Day. Yeah, St. Patrick's Day part two for us. We're drinking these fucking beers. (laughs) It's it's hair of the dog day. It's hair of the dog day (laughs) over here. But uh, yeah, uh, right now I'm at like all the tracks are done. I'm like halfway through the vocals on the whole album. So I got like another five or six songs left to track the vocals and I can just mix it and knock it out. Oh, wow. So you it, guys got a lot done. Yeah, I'm, I've been cranking every day, man. And that's the fortunate thing about having like the studio in my house. I just, I'm like, I think I think my vocals feel good today. I think I'm going to go hit the record button and I can mm-hmm. just do it, you know? And that's that's modern recording. That's mod- that's how bands are going to probably have to be nowadays, you know? Like, yeah at some point, some some degree. So I'm glad I get to at least offer that to my friends, you know? Yeah. So talk about Beast Killer. So what, uh, so it's a, it's a two-piece? Yeah, so it's me and Chris Monroe. Uh, Chris Monroe is uh, a local legendary <laughs> drummer from Cleveland. He's been in, in a ton of bands with me. He's been in uh, The Goons is in Slash Rival Knives is probably the closest um relative thing to what beast killer sounds like uh it's it's just been so much easier man doing like the two-piece thing like you know less cooks in the kitchen less schedules to try to like line up and and then like i mean we literally the the funniest thing about the way this band even happened right it was like pandemic was going on towards the middle of it like when there was that point where we're like can we all get together and try being bands again kind of thing like he he had been hitting me up for a long time before this like dude we should do like a two-piece 
like just you and I rock and roll kind of band. And I was always like, I don't know, man. Like I, I don't think I'm that talented. Like I can't. I, like I'm thinking like bands like like Black Keys and shit were like. Their guitar players can rip, or like all these two-piece bands were just like so much better than I am at guitar. I'm like, ah, I can't hold my own. I mean, I know you're a great drummer, but I'm not like that guy on the guitar singing part. So I'm like, I don't know. Uh, we'll see what happens. When the pandemic thing happened, I was like, I don't fucking care, dude. I just want to be in a room with somebody else and play rock and roll music and like feel that vibe of just playing something and you're reacting to it and we're just fucking doing it man i just wanted to feel that you know yeah, yeah. and he was like let's we're gonna do it and like i didn't have any ideas set up because i was just waiting for everything to always cancel i was like you know yeah. this this saturday is gonna come he's saying is gonna come and then some shit's gonna happen and we're not gonna be able to fucking play and it's gonna be whatever so he literally is like i'm on my way man i'll see you there in a bit and i was like oh shit you really this is really fucking happening <laughs> so i'm gonna play some rock and roll fucking rock and fucking roll today man this is gonna be sweet <laughs> so he comes to my house and I didn't have anything, man. I had no nothing, and then like, and by the end of the no songs written, nothing, not a fucking mm -hmm. riff. And then like, by the end of the two or three hours we played together, I had like three songs hashed out, and then like, it was bottled up. It yeah, was it was bottled. To come it just out. came out like so natural. And then two or three days later, our friend Matt James um, was in his band called No Deal, and now he's in Church and State, and he was like, hey, man, we got this show at the 5 o'clock lounge. Do you want to, like, come and, like, um, play the show in uh, Brave Bones or whatever? And I was like, well, Brave Bones is kind of on hiatus right now. But I was like, I got this other band that's kind of, like, just getting started. You know, we could probably throw a couple songs together between now and, you know, two months. Yeah. He's like, fuck yeah, dude, let's do it. So we <laughs> in two months, we wrote... An entire set's worth of music. We were practicing like once or twice a week, and like just that that explosion, man. It just came out of us. And I was like working really hard on it. I like we'd we'd write these riffs. I'd record them. I'd fucking sit there in my house and like come up with lyrics. And then boom, we played a show. In two months, we yeah. were ready to play. That's crazy. In three or four months, this album was written. That's nuts. Like, it was the fastest I had ever written anything in my life. And it was probably some of the best stuff I'd ever written. You know, it just... It sounds organic. Yeah. That's that's, <laughs> like, the, that's the hope, you know? It just yeah. feels very, very natural. And it's very, like, I don't know, man. It just comes from the heart. Like, it's just like, this is what I feel right now. I'm just, you know, and like... Uh, and I, I'm like real proud of it, man. It's it's really cool. It's 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 gotten the best reaction I've gotten in anything I've ever played in. So it's really cool. I think that feeling that you get yeah. writing it and performing it, like the way you just described it, yeah, is why the audiences have really grasped to it. Cool, cool, sure, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, because yeah. you can feel it. Like when when some you know the performer is like enjoying 100 percent in it, yeah, and loving yeah. it, what they're doing. And then, and you and Chris are both you guys have played together a ton, so you yep. have to all that chemistry, and it's and and Chris is a great showman too. So oh, being yeah. a two piece, you're <laughs> you're both performing, yeah. Um, which a lot of drummers, yeah. It's I mean, imagine I don't play drums, but it's hard to perform the way Chris can do. Oh that my god, on dude, stage. he's a fucking animal, man. He's like, fun to watch, and like he makes me try to raise my bar as far as like I have like if if I just stood there and just kind of like played guitar all like still people would be like what the fuck man why isn't that dude like so i gotta like match his energy and like i think we do that together we both try to match those energy and like but it's it's not contrived i feel like it's and then that's the thing you just you just gotta put yourself in it and like and i i don't ever want to be that band that like dials it in you know like i, I like i'll fucking like the last the one show we played the happy dog i i swear to god i thought i was gonna pass out by like three quarters of the show, I'm like looking around and I'm looking at the ground and I'm like, my head felt like it was swelling. Like it felt like, like at any moment I was going to pass out. I was so fucking hot. But at the same time, I was like, I don't fucking care, man. I'm like, I'm just like letting it out, man. And that's, that's that post pandemic energy. It's I mean, crazy. That pandemic helped us all realize a lot of things. It did. Right? It made you realize what's really important, man. Like yeah. when you're, when you're like, you wake up every day, you go to when, when you had to go to work and you eat your dinner and you feed your dogs or you play with your kids and you just rinse repeat every day for two years, you realize you didn't experience anything. You didn't do anything. Mm -hmm. So when you're like, fuck, I can go to a show, you're like, 
fuck yeah, dude. Let's go. What tickets are a hundred dollars? I don't give a shit. Here's two hundred dollars, motherfucker. Let's go. Yeah, I remember what it's like to not be able to go to shows. Right. Like, yeah, it's exactly. You're uh, not going to take anything for granted, right? Where we shouldn't, right? Right. right. We've experienced what it's like without all right. the world, all the things that yeah we have made you realize what what really life is all about. It's experience, man. Like yeah. your job. All that stuff is fucking stupid, man. That probably added I'm mean, I'm not gonna get like super deep into the woke culture thing, but like make people really realize, man, like this is what's important. You need to experience things. You need to like do something with yourself, man. Like make yourself feel transcendent of what you just experience, you know, your little things that you do every day. Like you gotta do something else, man. Mm-hmm. And that's powerful in a weird way. Yeah. It is. So uh, so I'll address the elephant in the room. Yeah. We're clearly both very attracted to each other. (laughs) So. I didn't. uh, Okay. I don't know if the audience can hear. But, you know. It was palpable. (laughs) I don't know if the audience can feel it. I apologize to Chris's wife when she listens to this episode. (laughs) I mean, it happens. But, no. Uh, wow, I did not see that elephant, but uh, <laughs> apparently it was disguised as a Sierra Nevada Indian Pale Ale. I was like, oh, shit, these guys going to bang or what? <laughs> it's a good All thing right. I got the cameras rolling. I wasn't trying to be sexual, I swear. I was just trying to try, drink a beer and have a good time. Patreon members get the video exclusive. So become a member. Thank you. Um, but no, so... Okay, Beast Killer is pretty new. Like, really, we covered Beast Killer because yeah. it's it's only what you've like. I played three, four shows. Oh man, uh, right? well, I don't. I don't know. It feels like we played a lot, but I mean, I guess not. Like, oh man, we we played under ten. Let's just say that. Yeah, definitely under, under, under 10. ten shows. And do you know what the the album's going to be called yet? Yes. Oh, it's, it's called the Beast Within. Oh, nice. It's a whole lot of beast all over this album. Yeah. Yeah, we got like uh, because there's you know the band's called Beast Killer, the album's called The Beast Within, and I guess there's a song. The first song on the album's called Beast Killer, so it's like Motorhead, Motorhead, Motorhead. Oh hell yeah! So a lot of Beast Killer. There's like there's like a theme going on here with the album. It's very much like um, the basic idea is everybody has like a, a thing that they're trying to overcome, and that thing is usually something within them, and that thing is the beast that they're trying to kill. We kind of like. It didn't originate that way. I mean, we were just coming up with cool band names, but mm-hmm. then the band name sort of, you know, became a, a thing. I guess it's like, well, that, that makes sense with what I'm singing about, you know, like, you know, mm-hmm. when you're trying to overcome that thing. So, yeah, that's awesome. I mean, I can't wait to hear it. Yeah, I mean, me too. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so to keep going and down the line, so pre Beast Killer mm-hmm. was Brave Bones. Yes. So Bray Bones was like the band number 26 or something. I don't know. I'm not really <laughs> sure. I've been in like so many bands. But Beast Killer or Bray Bones was a completely different style project. I mean, it was like I was just playing acoustic guitar. I I very rarely got into my yelling, screaming vocal thing. It was very much more singing. It was an experimental project of, of sorts. And it started off like me trying to do something completely different and kind of turn into this like rock project with like some really talented musicians. One of them, of course, being Michael Bosoff, who's in the vacancies with you, mm-hmm. and Bo, who's and in Bo. the vacancies also, and Chris Monroe, who's the drummer. So it was like yeah. basically it was vacancies and Beast Killer. <laughs> and, you know, yeah. it just kind of created a band. <laughs> and it was, uh, it was very cool. It was very. Um, like I said, it was it was like me trying to really experiment in the studio and like learn all these new tricks about like recording and production and like I mean I had all kinds of pianos and cellos and violins throughout the whole thing and it was like my magnum opus of like experimentation so to speak. But it was uh, it was cool. It was like you know we put a lot of work into it. Unfortunately. You know, life happens. Um, Bo had a baby, like, I think literally the day after it was put out. It was like July 5th was his baby, and July 4th we put the album out. Wow, crazy. Yeah, and then uh, and then we only played, like, two shows, and then, the, like, a lot of the pandemic happened. So, and like, a, a, like, a whole slew of things just backed it up. To It just kind of fell apart, like, you know, and then... Um, it, it, but it's one of those bands where, like, we're all friends, and, like, it'll never... 
probably stop happening. It's just one of those bands I could play when I'm 70 years old and like mm-hmm. we could just write good songs and just, you know, and, and it, so it'll always be there. But I feel like the pandemic and, and personal lives really kind of put a damper on the potential of what it could do and like the touring and whatever that, to promote it. And it just kind of like kind of died off after that. So, so that was kind of that. So that was the end story of Brave Bones. How did Brave Bones start? It started as an in-between project. Because, like, when I was in Rival Knives and the Goons, which was much more akin to Beast Killer. Um, heavier. Way heavier. It, it basically, it was like Beast Killer too. If you want to know what Beast Killer probably would have sounded like back in 2014 or 2000, whatever, like, it was the Goons and Rival Knives, basically. But we had a different. We had another person playing guitar, and we had, we had Michael Barber on guitar and Keith Gaten on bass. And um, I, I feel like that band was way heavier and then while Michael Barber was having kids, we, like Monroe, wanted to keep playing drums and wanted to play in something. And he's like, I know you got some songs in your back pocket somewhere. You want to, like, work on something. And I was like, well, I got these things that are totally not anything like this. But, like, if you want to play, I'll just play it. And so that's how Brave Bone started. It was just, like, just random, like, rock and roll sort of songs that I just started off with. And then that, like, turn into that whole beast of like it became a whole thing you know and it was it was crazy and it, that band ended up being coming like nominated for like best cleveland album you mm-hmm. know and in, in whatever and the scene magazine thing and and uh what's the name of that record again say uh, welcome to dark view welcome to dark view yeah, yeah. check that out yeah so it was it was really cool man it was uh it was definitely like you know an, an expansion to me trying to learn how to record in my own home studio and like do all these like weird like you know um, like adding the string instruments and all these, it was like a very like, uh, what's I mean, a concept album with like a lot of weird ass ideas. It wasn't just like straight strong stru- structures. It was like a very thick concept album, you know. Mm-hmm. So, and you guys did how many records for with Brave um, Bones? So it would technically be two full links and an EP, I believe. Yeah. And and who was the original Brave Bones members? That would have been me, Chris Monroe, and Brendan from American Werewolves. Uh, Brendan Moore from uh, American Werewolves, and he was he was in American Werewolves with Chris Monroe back in the day. So okay, that was it was just a three piece in the original lineup. Okay. And then by Tide's album, it was me, Nate Kelms, and uh, Monroe. And then as we were tracking it, I believe that's when like. Michael Bosaw came along and then the band has completely changed. And then as we were working on that album, we added Bo and then it became another thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was like, it just kept expanding its sound. And like, I, I, I mean, I, I fucking love playing with those guys, man. That like, I just feel like that, that nest of like, when, when somebody would have like an idea and like, we would just, you know, like even a cover song. So like, I'd be like, but they'd be like, let's just fucking play like uh, in excess. And I, I'm like, okay. And then they'd be <laughs> like, Bo would come to practice and just know all these fucking songs that everybody was like throwing out there. And we'd just be like, okay, I guess we're going to play this. And one or two practices, these motherfuckers had that shit. <laughs> it was like crazy, man. Like they were so talented and it was just like, it was so fun, man. It was it was super fun. And I'm I'm sure like we'll come out with something again. Yeah. You know, like it's just you know, it's one of those, like I said, it was, like that band didn't break up really. It didn't like it never fell under bad blood. It was like, okay, well, we're all in just different places right now. Let's do do your thing, man. Like, we ain't got no label telling us, you know, like, mm-hmm. where's our fucking record, bro? Like, we <laughs> fucking gave you money. And then we're like, fucking, you guys feel like playing some songs? Play some songs. Right. I got a studio. Let's go fucking record it. Timing is tough. Yeah. Like, like we, we we, the power's in our fucking hands now. It's like, you know, you want to do something, we'll do something. I don't give a shit. Let's yeah. do it. Yeah. Is that, you think that covers like uh, the Brave Bones stuff? Or, I mean, I, I guess so. I mean, I, I, we didn't really. Now we'd be oh we didn't get into what what were you gonna say oh I was saying yeah I mean that Brave Bones was definitely like like that major section there and the mm-hmm. thing and then before that would have been the Goons yeah. Rival Knives section yeah uh, and this is, now we're getting into territory where I didn't really know you so. yeah right right so the Goons Rival Knives era was like uh, I guess that was uh, to, to kind of like whittle everything down to the 
cliff notes of how that came to be. My buddy Joey Artino and I drank a lot, and we would fucking – he had this house that was like his grandmother's house who had passed away in her about to put it on the market, and he was crashing there. And him and I would go down to the B-side, which is underneath the grog shop in Cleveland, and get fucking wasted and then drive back to his house and then play rock and roll till 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning till a couple times we got cops called on us and neighbors were real pissed about it. But Don't we, drink and drive, yeah, Don't drink and drive. <laughs> I don't know who drove us home. <laughs> yeah, because Uber wasn't. It was him or me yeah. or somebody else. I don't fucking know. But somebody drove us. It was only like three or four blocks. The important thing is you don't remember. Yeah, I don't remember. <laughs> but we got to the house. Because it was only him and I. I don't know. Whatever. We got to the house is the point. And we made some rock and roll happen. Yes, that's the important part. Yeah. <laughs> that's the important part. And uh, so we, you know, we wrote the whole Goons album, the first That's His Purpose album, like just him and I and like, well, most of it. There was like three or four songs that came later uh, that Michael Barber came into, but it was literally just a two-piece band at that time with him and I. And, you know, like, we, it's literally just written, wasted. Like, mm-hmm. we were just drunk as fuck playing these songs. <laughs> and it was super fun. And that band had, like, a lot of potential. And then, man, the timeline there between who became in, where, and when is so confusing. I try to think about it sometimes. I'm like... I don't even remember who was in the band anymore at the certain points, but it eventually turned into an album, and then that album like became like a point of like, well, this was you guys, we need to do this, and then it became Rival Knives. And it's a weird thing, but like, they're essentially the same band, uh, slightly new members, but me and Chris were the main two that stayed in the whole thing. So that was that. That was definitely like like I said, like very akin to the Beast Killer thing. Like that was like the early me realizing that that this is like my DNA. You know, like, like this is how I like feel like I most naturally write these kind of like single note riffs and me yelling the way I do. That's That was Beast Killer mm-hmm. in its earliest stages was those two albums. Just more band members. Just more band members, yeah. So the Beast Killer is essentially still the same two main core members of that. But now with everything that we've like kind of gotten to know about music and like applying the knowledge that we've attained now to what we're writing now. Yeah. And I hope it sounds better. <laughs> but you know, some people be like, nah, you still suck, motherfucker. <laughs> Fuck you. Keep keep practicing, bud. Keep practicing, bro. <laughs> Maybe in ten years when you're seventy, this shit'll make sense to you. But right now, nah. <laughs> And if that person is listening, you get to stop. Yeah, just stop. Just this is where you hit the stop button <laughs> and just the, go fucking mow your lawn or something. Yeah, it's not the you boring ass son you. of a bitch. <laughs> so we, we talked about rival knives and goons, yes. right? And I think that was totally so, relevant. And that was all, yeah, made perfect sense in the grand scheme of things. I think so. Yeah. Tell me how you first started getting into music and playing music. Then, okay, I wasn't. Per- Yeah, I'm going to throw throw you a curveball. All right. Are we recording right now? Yeah. Yeah. Oh. (laughs) We're going, bud. Okay, the early days. Pre-goons. I guess, I mean, if you were to ask me, like, what were the... Well, I mean, I I don't know, man. Like, I mean, I've I've been in so many bands. Tell me about the beginning then. So let's jump out of of order. And what what made you want to like pick up a guitar, start writing (sighs) songs? Like, what was that like? Okay, so the I would say what made me want to pick up a guitar was Helmet Meantime album. I fucking love this album, right? Like, I mean, something about just riff rock in general was definitely the onset of me realizing like I wanted to play in bands, and like so. I'm trying to do like the most cliff notes version of my entire life. <laughs> so like a buddy of mine had a guitar. It was a shitty ass guitar that was made by Hyundai, which I didn't even know made guitars, but apparently they did. Okay. And um, I borrowed this guitar from him in exchange for me letting him borrow my Sega CD system, my computer game system or whatever, Sega CD video game system. And on this guitar, I dropped the 
the um, E string to D, and I just learned how to play all these fucking Helmet Betty albums, like riffs. And then I moved on to Back to Meantime, and I just felt like, dude, I can fucking be in a rock band. I know how to play fucking songs. So, I mean, you know, at least stuff that I like, you know, yeah. so it doesn't matter. And um, I just loved the way it felt to play like a down and a down and a like it just felt cool. And like, so from there, I slowly, like, I actually started playing acoustic guitar and, like, um, just started to play these riffs on, like, acoustic. And I started, like, doing open mic nights. And, like, I got into, like, weird acoustic bands, you know, that um, felt more natural to learning how to play guitar, like Dave Matthews and stuff. Like, I would, like, learn how to literally play, like, Dave Matthews songs and run these open mic nights. Mm -hmm. And then, like, from there, like, I did that... Back in like early 2000s, I was like, whatever. And then a buddy of mine got a um, this gig work. He worked for McFarland Toys, which you know Todd McFarland made all these crazy detailed um, action figures, whatever you want to call them. And um, so he was like, "Dude, I got this fucking gig, man. You want to come with me? Uh, It's like two and a half months, and we will go on tour with the Ozfest." And I was like, what? <laughs> I was I was a carpenter at the time. I was only in like barely like a year into my apprenticeship there. And so I go to my boss and I'm like, hey, you know, so I got this um, opportunity to play, to, to go on this on the road for two and a half months with my friend to do this OzFest thing. And he looked at me like I fucking shot his sister. And he was like, oh. uh, like, and I was like, I was like, I just want to know if like if I went and did this, if I would have my job when I came back. And he was like, uh, no. <laughs> He's like, we just set up all your health insurance and everything else. Oh. He's like, you're gonna fucking leave and go like join the circus. <laughs> and I'm like, no, I, I want to go fucking do this thing. I'll never have an opportunity to do it. And he was like, yeah. well, I, I can't do that. And I just go, okay. <laughs> I just fucking left. Well, and so I went on tour with the Ozfest in like 2000, 2001, whatever it was, when like Pantera was like the big band on the thing. And I got to experience for like two and a half months what it was like to be on the road. Like McFarland paid for all of our hotels. I got like $500 a week um, plus $42 a day per diem. Um, which basically like had like a laminate and I had to go, I can go eat like whatever Ozzy ate and everything else. That's a and, sweet like, gig. Yeah, it was fucking yeah. summer of my fucking life, right? I bet. Like yeah. me and my buddy Frank were like, and he do, he still does stuff in Hollywood or whatever. He's a big whatever uh, makeup studio guy. Right and um, so I uh, got to go on this tour and I just, I mean, I just lived it up, man. Like I just got to like hang out with kitty and pitch shifter and all these fucking incubus i got to hang out with incubus like just doing whatever hanging out with these bands and i was just some nobody fucking dude just played acoustic guitar in his free time you know like and so but i got to experience what it was like to be on tour and like i fucking loved it man i fucking i loved being like like the whole being there early and setting shit up and like getting everything ready. And then you do this thing and then you get back in the car and you go to the next city. And it was like the same city, but different. It was like bizarre world. You go and you play in like Cleveland, but then you go to New York and you see what New York's version of like the grog shop is. And it's like Brillo pad and like Pittsburgh is like the version. It's, it's, it's so crazy how every city has the same cultures mirrored to each other. Mm-hmm. And I love that. I thought that was so cool. How like you could go somewhere else that felt the same, but everybody looked different. You know, like mm-hmm. you didn't know anybody here, but the, it's the same place. <laughs> you know, That was like a weird yeah. thing to me. And, um, but I love being on that tour thing. And that, tour i think was like really the thing that like sparked something in me that was like this is the lifestyle you really want to live and everybody wants to live that right everyone wants to fucking be rock stars and do fucking dumb shit but, but you like, had to have something inside of you that but something you inside of you knew like it was more about that expression thing man like mm-hmm. and i connected like i was like and, and frank was like a great dude man who uh opened me up to some of the craziest opportunities i've had in my life like he had this gig working at the six flags here in cleveland right <laughs> it's the funniest fucking gig ever wait you mean cedar point cedar point turned into six flags right okay so six flags had this um we <laughs> we were a part of the quote unquote um 
it was it was called the like entertainment department, right? That's what we, the general term for us. And we always joked about it because we're like, we're the fucking entertainment. But like him and I's him and I's job was basically to like he was heavily into makeup and effects. Like even to this day, he does a lot of stuff for like Stranger Things and Star Wars movies. He's like a big time like makeup and effects guy, right? And like we're this is like early days in our twenties when we're like making masks and stuff. And I don't fucking know much, but I'm I'm an artistic dude. So like I'm helping him like fuck around and <laughs> do stuff. And so I made this pumpkin mask and like we're like doing these cool things in this in Six Flags. And uh like I, I don't know, like this job that he had us doing was like somehow he was connected to McFarland Toys and that's how they got us on that gig. But when I was working with him with Six Flags, there were times we'd be on the clock, man, and I was literally in this empty theater with my acoustic guitar just playing songs because I want to know what it felt like to be on stage. And like it was, it was a, it was like this huge, empty, abandoned building in the back of Six Flags, and I'd just be like playing, and I just felt it, man. I felt like this is what I wanted to do, is I wanted to be up here and doing this music stuff, you know, and like, and I was always so, like every part of my DNA, I feel like has just been about like music and like taking it all in and putting it all back out, like just always doing that, and um, so I feel like, like in, like Frank's journey himself kind of like helped kind of lead me into a lot of these things too. Exposed you to exposed me to a lot of life yeah. lifestyles that I never really would have experienced. And being on an Ozfest tour was a huge one, man. Like I really got to see what the biggest thing you could be a part of in the like early two thousands was like, aside from having to actually be on stage. Like I got all the same privileges, all the same like kind of um experience of like getting in the car and you had to be at a certain place a certain time and you had to do all these you know things i just didn't have to be on stage and play for half an hour i just had to like stand there all day and show people what the newest mcfarland toys toys were coming out you know and it was it was a fucking rad gig man and i will always be appreciative of that that was really sweet but. i imagine seeing those bands play day oh. in and day out too had to have had some yes. effect right for sure like you kind of really see how like a lot of bands like have like the same sort of set list and then it makes you in a weird way when you're watching some band be on tour you really sort of start to appreciate like the bands that have been doing it for a while or have like a different take on how they do shows like i would say of all the bands that were on that tour incubus and pantera were the most like versatile in how they did their shows like incubus man would come out at the time okay so when that tour was happening um make yourself was just about to break out. So in the beginning, people didn't really catch on to what they were doing yet. And I would literally come out there and it'd be like this huge like main stage venue. And there'd be like 20 people out there, right? And Jose would come out there and he'd, he'd be jamming. They're fucking jamming. And they're playing. And I'm like, this is the show? And like, I know, I, I know your album. Like, how come you guys aren't doing whatever? And then they'd be playing their songs. And, and then they would start doing their thing. And then as more people came in, uh, you literally saw them blow up on a tour. And then by, the, by like midway through it, like it was fucking packed. Like the entire auditorium was packed. And like, but Pantera was the same way, same way. Like they played their same songs every night, but that dude, man, would get blitzed and say some of the craziest shit I've ever heard anybody say on stage. He'd be literally be like, eat pussy till you hit brain and stuff like that. I'm like, what is this guy talking about? But like, it was fucking, it was a blast, man. It was yeah. a fucking fun summer. Just to see how that whole experience was and see how all these bands are behind the stage, behind the scenes, sure. how they live, how they do things. And, and like, it was cool, man. It was like, okay, I could do this. It's, it's like, you know, so it's fun. So then how do you put that drive, that yeah. motivation you have now into your first project? Like, what's that? Oh, so that then, like? so then when I was starting to do the acoustic thing, I like, what, that's when I realized I like wanted to play in like a rock band. I wanted to be like in an actual band, not just me playing acoustic stuff, doing open mic shit. I wanted to like play in a band. And at the time, I started coming in, like falling in love with bands like Thursday, right? Like Thursday came out full collapse. And I remember coming across it at like Borders Music Store. And I like heard it in like the, the earphones at like the fucking Borders. And I first heard it and I was like, I don't know, man. 
I don't know. And I, I came back like the next day and I, I just sat at home and I was like, I got to go get that record, man. I got to get that record. And I went back and bought it. And that Full Collapse album changed my life. Like I bought that Thursday record and I was like, this is what I want to fucking do. I want to fucking play like heavy screamo shit. So I fucking started this band, put up a fucking paper and whatever, got together some musicians and we started playing like you know, I was I couldn't sing for shit, like in that kind of music especially. I couldn't screamo, but I mean, but Thursday, the way he sounded, it made it seem like, well, maybe you could because he's not pitch perfect. Like this guy isn't like uh, you know, like fucking Celine Dion of rock music. Like sure. he's he's a very kind of like loose, visceral singer. And I was like, I could do that. Like I can just, you know, pour myself into things. Like and then, like I just felt like I mean, because that's how I play anyway. I could just, you know, and and it just felt natural, uh, like. And so, you know, you're attracted to things that are like yourself, and and so I feel like um, that changed me in that way. And I started my first, you know, rock band, or whatever, from that. And then that was basically that band, that album, that time period set me off into playing in rock bands. Period. That's cool. Yeah. Um, do you remember when Borders used to have records just sitting out and you could listen to them on headphones? That's yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I know, you just said that. Yeah, yeah. I was just like, wow. So I went down like a little bit of memory lane. Yeah, like, wild man. Like, I guess now you could just do it with Spotify or but whatever. That, that like, was how, like, just the, the. I mean, we could probably have a whole podcast on yeah. just like how people consume music, you know, and like. Right, over the times. Yeah. And something about discovery, though, has always been like. You know, so exciting. So 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 uniquely like special to you because you feel like you found it. Uh-huh. You know, like even though it was a commercial bookstore and it was like, hey, here's this fucking record that's <laughs> kind of popular, and you're like, yeah. I found it though. I found something new. <laughs> I found I'm something gonna... that a whole bunch of other people found before me, <laughs> but it was fucking good. So I mean, whatever it it was good enough to where it fucking clicked, man, and and it inspired, and that's what's important, you know. And did you say you put an ad out in the papers for other band well, yeah, members? Yeah, like like when I first did that, you know, it was like I, th- I think the, the Cleveland back page scene thing, and I was like, hey, yeah. I want to play in a band that sounds like blah 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 blah. Here's my influences. Here's my influences, <laughs> and and I, I don't know, I don't know if bands even do that anymore. I don't know. I feel like now that we're old, like we're just like, hey, do you know anybody that plays bass? <laughs> Well, in uh, Artemis Ward, we found Joe Hansen through uh, no shit. Like a Craigslist thing ad. See, Sean but he's a fucking unicorn, bro. That dude is incredible. That's that's he just... might be the most talented goddamn guitarist <laughs> ever stepped foot in my house. You mean you don't some put ads that, in I've Craigslist? Seen, I've seen that dude's incredible, man. You got like a fucking unicorn. He's most dudes, uh, most of my experiences with fucking Craigslist have been like some dude comes <laughs> over your house with like a fucking like. I have so many stories, man. <laughs> fucking I people. Bet. I don't want to talk shit, man. Because <laughs> some I'll mention some dude, like that was me. But here's one. <laughs> I think he's talking about me. Fuck. It's me, man. There's this <laughs> cop right that came over our house. Like this guy. Uh, we were, this is like back when we were first starting. I believe it was Lines Across Lines, so this indie rock band I was in. And this guy comes over. Doesn't buy, doesn't bring beer for anybody else. Brings his own little, little six pack of like Milwaukee's Beast, right? Mm-hmm. Fucking, he's got this thing over there, and then he comes. We're, we're playing the songs, and he was he was okay. He played it, but it was great. And then we go outside to have a cigarette or beer or whatever, and he's like, he pulls out this fucking bag of weed, man. That was fucking huge, and we're like, and he got it from like a confiscation, <laughs> still from somebody else. I was like. Dude, what the fuck, man? <laughs> Whatever. Oh. So obviously he didn't get the gig because it's a fucking crooked yeah. cop, man. Like, fuck he this dude. Even, he didn't even check with you guys first to see if you'd be cool with it. Like, but it was weird, man. It was like, I mean, none of us, I don't think any of us at that time smoked weed, but he was like, it was just a strange thing. Like, But he didn't share nothing. He wouldn't even give us one of his beers. He didn't buy beers for anybody else. He brought his own six pack. And that was like the first red flag. Like, who comes to, to like a, audition with their own beers for themselves like you bring like, community you bring beers. community beers like hey yeah. if you guys want one i got some extra beers yeah. if you don't say that you don't got the gig man <laughs> we had a guy come down and audition for drums one time yeah in uh, artemis ward and uh he set up his drums and he had like all these drums you know like a big kit 
Yeah. And uh, we were like, okay, well, so we put a song out. We're like, we'll we'll work on this one first because you know if you put a if you put a thing out there, yeah, to trying to bring people in, you usually put a demo or something they can listen to, right? Yeah, yeah. So we played like a little bit of the song, and he was like, nope, not for me. Packed up all his whole <laughs> drum set, and we helped him carry it down to his car. And I was like. You didn't even like listen oh to the God. songs before you came all the way down here to wow. set your kid up. And he was like, no, I, we didn't even play with him. It was crazy. Wow. Yeah, there's some wild people out there. I guess, yeah. So, dude, we, we had this joke <laughs> one time, man. We were like, dude, it'd be so funny if you like made a TV show that was like all of these, like make a, like a scene ad or something or like a classified ad and be like, hey, I'm making a kiss cover band. Looking for the next ace. <laughs> the fucking the the cockroaches that would come out of the woodwork for this wild ass thing, man. But I, I at the same time I'm like, dude, man, let let weirdos be weirdos, man. Just, oh, just don't great. be weird. It, it would be I feel like it'd be exploitive. And I was like, just let them be weird, man. But that's a if they're a, not for you, they're not for you, right? You know? It's like that's fuck. a killer idea for a reality TV it show. W- you should would have been in the 90s, but nowadays I'm like, just don't <laughs> Just let people be weird, man. <laughs> you know? yeah, for sure. <laughs> so, man. I don't know. so I would say um, I I think maybe we just wrap it here. Yeah, man. And if, you know, I'm going to keep doing this podcast so for you sure, can always man. come back down and talk about stuff 100%. we missed. 100%. If you ever want to come, man, come back, man, I'm totally down. This is, that is cool? a fucking good time, man. Hell yeah. All right. Well, cheers. I know we're both a little tipsy, so Boop. before we get into yeah, more I had tipsy. Like seven beers and two cocktails before I got here because we had practice. So, <laughs> so before it gets sorry too- if I offended anybody. It's the beer talking. <laughs> <laughs> so hey, thank you so much for listening, and um, yeah, go check some stuff out. Go check out Chris's music and and Rubber Lizard Studio. Beast killer, a beast killer, especially. All right, yeah. thank you. Y'all have a good uh, life. Cheers. Cheers. <laughs>